e pluribus unum. It's Latin for out of many, one. We see this on every coin we have. It's on monuments. It's on our money. If you go tour the U.S. Capitol, as I had the privilege of doing a few years ago in Washington, D.C., you see a video highlighting this as one of the greatest aspects of our nation. That people from all over the world, different ethnicities, different tribes, different races, different nations of origin, all come to our country as immigrants. And and we are a nation of immigrants. And we have come together, uh, it used to be the image of the melting pot coming together to make something better. Now, to be politically correct, we use it as the, the salad bowl. But whatever imagery you use, we see in our nation something beautiful. That out of many comes one thing that is different and even better than the sum of all its parts. There's something beautiful about the immigration that has created in our nation something so much different. And we celebrate that history. We take pride in that as Americans. But running alongside this beauty is an ugly streak as well. Because going back all the way to 1619, a year before even the Mayflower landed on our continent, a slave ship carrying some 20 black African slaves came to our country. Before we were even a nation, slavery had been enshrined in our laws. And then from the beginning of uh, the U.S. Constitution, it says all men are created equal. And yet we know that in those laws was enshrined slavery, and not just any type of slavery, but a slavery of the, based on skin. That those with a darker skin pigmentation were viewed as less than and even treated as chattel and property to be used and abused by white male slave owners. That continued even after the Civil War was fought and the Emancipation Proclamation freed slaves and ended slavery in our nation. It continued on through Jim Crow laws and then into the separate but equal doctrine, knowing everyone who knew that with different water fountains and different swimming pools and different seating and restaurants, it was nothing at all close to equal. That the separation that came in our country made the divide worse and worse. And it wasn't just in those Jim Crow laws and segregation era. Even as busing started, as there were protests and riots in the 1960s, as voting rights acts got passed and there was some major progress made, still uh, on a social level, there was an increased division in our nation between people of different colored skin. We know that there were policies in country clubs and in schools and in businesses and by who they would hire or not hire to uh, exclude people that were having a darker skin tone. All of these things continued for years and years and years in our nation. Uh, Even we saw in 1991 in my lifetime that... um, where a a black man, Rodney King, in 1991 was beaten by several white police officers. This police brutality, now caught on video, was seen by the nation. Something that uh, black men and women had been suffering and struggling with for generations came to the forefront. And sadly, it's still going on today. Uh, Other policies in our nation, like redlining, where banks would uh, not give loans to people who are African-American. 
Even as recent as 2015, banks were found in the Midwest practicing this despicable and racist policy. In our nation, we have that ugly history of racial division based on the color of our skin. Through our systems, through our laws, through our policies, and from the hands of individuals, there is racism in our nation. So though we celebrate the idea of out of many, one, what we actually have seen in our country too often is out of many, two. Out of many, two. And it is sad and it is despicable and I think we need to address this. Some of you are wondering, well, Matt, why are you talking about this and why now? You know, if you've watched my messages or been a part of our church for a while, you know that I don't often... (laughs) Uh, stray from my series that I, I give. And I was planning a different message in our Luke series, Jesus Is, this week. But every once in a while, and, and now for the second time this year, I've had to stray from my series. This was too important of a topic for our nation, for our city, and yes, for our church itself, that we have to talk about it. And I was going to do this message, I was already starting to plan it for for later in July, about a month and a half from now, but I couldn't wait. I had to do it now. Now, what that means, practically, if you're listening to this message, know that I am not as studied as I like to be, especially as a topic like racism, where I come from my unique perspective. And I don't know uh, as much as I want to, and I have not studied. I already had some books lined up that I was going to put in my reading schedule that I haven't gotten to yet. So I come to this uh, not as educated as I wish I could be, not as learned. I probably will say something stupid if I haven't already. Um, I, I may offend you, and I will definitely make you uncomfortable in this message. But this is something that I need to talk about and we need to talk about as our church. I, in one conversation I had this week, I, I said, you know, I just don't even know what to say. I don't know what to do. Um, and I was reminded, well, I'm very close to the answer. So even though I don't have time to hit the books, I had to hit the book. Because we have a great truth here in God's Word that we're going to look at today. So I have a special message to you today from Ephesians chapter 2. We are going to move very quickly in this message through a passage of Scripture that is dense and rich and beautiful. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 to 16. Meaning, you need to pay attention. Get out your Bible. Take notes. Look at the Version app so you can look at our event, the Bible app. You need to focus. You need to pay attention. You need to take notes. Get rid of all the distractions right now. If you're distracted right now and you're trying to watch while all this stuff is going on, pause and watch this later. Join us later. It's in, that important for our church and for you. And if you're asking, well, why for our church? Well, um, it's because we are not just a white church. We are not just a church of one ethnicity. We are a church of many different ethnicities, many different races, and people of different nations of origin. We are a church that is coming together um, every Sunday and throughout the week, and we represent a lot of different perspectives. You know, last week, in case you were wondering, well, why didn't you address this last week when when everything was really hitting the fan with George Floyd and the protests and rioting? Well, actually, we um, I gave the whole staff the week off. I took the week off. We took a special vacation because we've all been working way harder than we should over the last couple of months because of the pandemic. We all took the week off, and I personally was doing everything I could to avoid the news. I didn't want to think about the news, primarily the, the pandemic stuff, 
Um, but I remember as we were driving back from Utah this past Monday, as I was on I-70 coming out of the foothills, I saw a big sign, and maybe some of you have seen it too, that said, curfew tonight starts at 8 p.m. And my eyes perked up. I had to think, what's going on? That night I read the news. I, I, I dove into what's going on, not just nationally, but locally. Um, I had some messages from people in our church asking, like, what is our church going to do about it? How, how do we respond to what's going on? And though I, I seem slow to this, I am. Uh, it was not a purposeful slowness. And we are addressing this right now because it is important. The next day, after I was diving into the news as much as I could, I, I, called, I started calling some of the black leaders in our church and some of the members, and I, I tried to talk to as many people. It took uh, an entire day plus some, and I learned so much as I listened and heard, but, but not just uh, the, the thoughts, but what I really heard was the emotion behind the comments. In the conversations I was um, privileged to have with, with the men and women that I consider brothers and sisters in Christ here in our church, I felt their emotions, their sadness, their grief. I heard their anger. And I literally could hear them crying. And it moved me. Um, and I hope that you too have been moved. So even if you're saying, well, hey, this is an issue. This happened in Minneapolis with George Floyd. What, what happened in, with Ahmad Armory was in Georgia. That, how does that affect us here? But... It does because these are the men and women that are in our church. And if, if they are weeping, we must do. In fact, we are commanded to weep with those who weep. So I hope that to, through this message, we together can come to see what God has to say in his word about this pernicious, terrible evil of racism. So we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 16. We're going to move quick. And what we're going to see is one powerful truth. The actual way that we can from out of many become one. And we're going to learn that one truth and then from there be pushed. And I'm going to give you four different actions we can take biblically that we need to move out from this message and from this season, hopefully being better to be more like Jesus in this season. So would you look with me at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11. And there we read, Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands, remember at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God. In the world. Okay, what do Jews and Gentiles, circumcised and uncircumcised, have to do with our situation today, with the division in our nation that has been going on for 400 years between blacks and whites? Well, I want to look a little closer at these differences, because what Paul is addressing here is the difference that was there in the very beginning of the church, the first century AD because there were Jewish believers now in Jesus who were circumcised. You know, circumcision was the right, the um, sign that God had given to Abraham and to all of God's people to practice this surgery on their skin. Okay, parents, you can take a minute here now to explain this to your children. Okay, this surgery having to do with the skin 
would separate then the people of God from everyone else. This um, created uh, something that it was a physical act and it was a very (laughs) personal physical act that was a sign to show the spiritual reality of who they were. But sadly, throughout Israel's history, this division that was a physical skin issue became something that led to a sin issue because it created more hostility and division um, between God's people and the rest because uh, those who were circumcised married those who were circumcised and they had kids who were circumcised. So generation after generation, for more than even our American 400 years, for thousand plus years, the people of God were separated and it created a division. Well, now in the church is both the Jews and the Gentiles coming together, the circumcised and the uncircumcised. And this hostility that has built, been built up for generations is hard to overcome. And that's what Paul addressing, this division that is both um, genetic. Did you notice how it says they are Gentiles by birth? Okay, there's a genetic component to it too. And he also says that, that it is done by the circumcision done by the body by human hands. So there's both a genetic issue here and there's a societal issue. There's a societal thing. This division that's happening is both genetic and societal. And that is actually what we see with the animosity in our nation. Because yes, there are genetic differences between our skin pigmentation. We can trace our um, lineages in different directions. But on top of that, these colors that separate us, sadly, were even forced upon it by human decisions. Slavery, if you look at the history of it, before the United States was not necessarily based on the color of the skin, but in our country we made it the color of the skin that determined who was a slave and who was not, who could be owned and who was not. And because of that baked into our country, baked into our constitution, has been a division. And it is a terrible, tragic history that we must confront. And I think this difference based on skin, whether it was for the Jew or the Gentile, I think we can see today. What's even interesting, it says that you were formerly Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised. So this means that the Jews were labeling the people who were different than them. And they called themselves the circumcision. So there was a pride being taken in who they were in their identity. It was a pride based on skin. And this calling, yes, uncircumcised here, it was even called more derogatory things that you can find throughout the scriptures. And what Paul is addressing here is that this division that used to happen between you is terrible. It should not be anymore because now we have a better way. And that's what he says next in verse 13. In verse 13, he says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who are once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. There was hostility, there was enmity, there was division, and this between these two people based on a flap of skin. Now, in our day, it is not a flap of skin, but it is a pigmentation in our skin that has sadly created division. And this barrier in Jesus, in Christ, in what he has done for us on the cross, is no more. 
And that's what Paul is saying. We can't call each other different because we are all one now. In Jesus Christ, something has changed, something has happened. What I want you to take away from this passage today is that Jesus is the only one who can make the many one. Jesus is the only one. We've tried different things, but in our nation it is clear that it is not just this magical melting pot, this magical salable that everything is going to be perfect and beautiful. There is that element to it, but there's also the hostility and enmity and division that is still happening in our country. But in Jesus, that barrier can be broken down. Think about what he did on the cross. Think about it. Jesus, a man who was a Middle Eastern Jew, meaning he had some darker pigmentation in his skin, was arrested by those who had a lighter skin pigmentation. Yes, it was the Roman centurions, those in power, who were from Europe. Now, of course, we don't know the exact details, but we can guess that when they came to him at night, why at night? Because he was being brought up on trumped-up charges. He was arrested, and then he was given a false trial. He was not given an advocate. There was no public defendant to help him. He had no witnesses that came forward to testify on his behalf. He could not call them. He was given a false trial. And then he was beaten. He was um, hurt by those who were in power. He was hit. They, They physically abused his body. He was brutally attacked by those in power above him. And then after all that happened, they took him and they hung him up on a tree. And there Jesus, with witnesses who did nothing, they watched as Jesus, as Mark records, because they're eyewitnesses, Jesus literally slowly, through minutes by minutes, breathed his last It even says in Isaiah chapter 53, writing about Jesus, that he was oppressed and harshly mistreated. Still, he humbly submitted, refusing to defend himself. He was brought like a gentle lamb to be slaughtered. You know, sadly, what happened to Jesus is something that happens physically to many uh, men and women of color today that we are seeing this with George Floyd. We're outraged. I I tried to watch the video, and I could barely even watch a few seconds before I felt physically ill and emotionally distraught. Uh, That what happened to Ahmaud Arbery, we hear these stories and we are outraged. We are outraged because these men were attacked brutally. That though they were unarmed, they were murdered. And what I see here in the cross is that God loved us so much that He was willing to suffer the worst possible death so that we could be forgiven. And not just we who are sinners, but also we who are racists. The worst racists, not only uh, is there blood of Jesus Christ for George Floyd and Ahmaud Arbery and the many men and women who have died before uh, him, before those men at the hands of the police officers in our nation, but also for the racist police officers, by those who are abusing and attacking those who have power and are using it against those who look different than them. You know, Jesus died for all of them. This is the most incredible, powerful thing that he willingly knew what was going to happen and willingly went to the cross to suffer in that heinous, terrible way. But he did it, as it says, 
to tear down the dividing wall. What's really fascinating is it tells us here that this reconciliation that we have now between God and us, that because of what Jesus did on the cross, we can find forgiveness, that our sin, even our sins of racism, can be forgiven and we can become one with God and Jesus Christ. But it also says this, that his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity. Did you see that in verse 15? His purpose was not just to reconcile us to God, but to reconcile us to each other. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity. The very purpose, or one of the purposes that why Jesus died on the cross, was to bring not only reconciliation between us and God, but between us and one another. Between whatever divides us, whether for the Jew or the, G- the Greek, as in Paul's day, or between the black and the white, between people of all races and ethnicities and nations of origin who speak different languages and think differently and different genders. Whatever is the dividing line, Jesus came to tear it down. Jesus is the only one who can make the many one. So I want to challenge you today, if you're watching this today, the first thing we need to do is be reconciled to God. Even if you have put your faith in Jesus Christ right now, you may need to repent again. I need to repent again. I know in my past I have said racially insensitive comments and jokes. I have had to repent of that again and think through my own life, how have I been insensitive? Or even through my own ignorance, hurt those around me. We all can repent again because at the foot of the cross we all kneel and we all need the blood of Jesus Christ to forgive us. So we need to be reconciled to God. But there's a second thing too, is that we need to reconcile ourselves to others. And we need to be agents of reconciliation. That's what Paul teaches us later in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It's interesting. It says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. Okay, that's great, the reconciliation with God. But listen to this. Right after that, he says, All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. You know, for a long time, I thought, well, I'm not racist. I like black people. I love them. But I think what Paul is teaching us, I think what this passage of Scripture is teaching us is that it's not enough to just not be racist. We, as followers of Jesus, are called to be reconcilers. It's not just a passive thing. I'm not racist. No, it's an active thing to go out and reconcile others to God and therefore to us. We are agents of reconciliation in this world. So many voices right now are dividing us. The media, politicians, people on social media, they're saying pick a side. You have to pick a side. But we as Christians do not pick a side. We are the ones who are agents of reconciliations to make the many one. We bring peace peace and love just like Jesus did on the cross. Not only did he die for his fellow Jews, but he died for the Gentiles. And he died for the Roman soldiers who brutalized him. People are being divided right now about... Black Lives Matter versus Blue Lives Matter. They're being divided about how you need to speak out on social media or you don't. We're divided by politics. We're divided by coronavirus. We're divided about wearing masks. And it is so sad. There are so many things dividing us right now. And we as followers of Jesus are called to be the reconcilers. 
the uniters, because Jesus has tried to bring us to be one. He died on the cross to make us one, so we too must take that message and bring that truth to others. I was reminded of the story of Daryl Davis, who, as a black man and as a Christian, uh, has made it his mission for decades to befriend people who are white supremacists. And as a black man, he goes and listens to these people in their tirades and rants, Ku Klux Klan members, and he listens to them, he befriends them, he loves them, and through those relationships, he has seen over 20 Ku Klux Klan members renounce their association with that terrible group. And many of them, when they leave, they give him their robes, and he has a closet full of them. Because as a Christian, he has realized it is his job to reconcile those who are different from him to himself, even ones that hate him. And we too must follow his lead. I love what Pauli Murray, the, the black civil rights attorney, said years ago. She said, When my brothers try to draw a circle to exclude me, I shall draw a larger circle to include them. See, just as Jesus did when he died on the cross, he's saying, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. We too must forgive, love, and bring peace and reconciliation to the world around us. So what are the things we need to do about this? What are the things we need to do? i got four things for you, um, but one <laughs> quick thing before we dive into that. Some of you may be wondering, well, Matt, Matt why are you focusing so much on black and white? What about Latinos? What about women? What about um, people uh, of Asian descent? What about all these other different uh, divisions? Well, the reality is, is I've been talking about them all along. <laughs> because Paul addressed Jews and Gentiles, and yet we're taking that to apply it to the situation we have today. He was dealing with the issue of his day, and we too must deal with the issue of our day. Because it is an issue today between black and white, sadly, that continues for 400 years in our country. Uh, on, on top of that, um, some of you are, are saying, well, Matt, when you're talking about these differences between us, aren't you just highlighting them? Aren't you just dividing us further? Uh, some people even, uh, and, and I probably thought this as well, we, we naively say, well, I'm colorblind. I don't look at people and see the color of their skin. But that's just stupid. Because we do see the color of their skin. We're not blind. Two, they see the color of their own skin when they look in the mirror. And three, God sees the color of their skin and he loves them because of their individuality. See, there's an amazing section in Revelation chapter 7-9 where John has this vision of heaven and it says there that after this I looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. Why do I say this? Because even in heaven... There are people that are identified by their differences. By even, yes, the nation, that's the Greek word ethnos, this is their ethnicity. There's differences, and yet they are all united in their one identity, worshiping the Lamb, Jesus Christ. So we can and will celebrate our differences for eternity. And it will be a beautiful thing. Now, some of you uh, think of heaven and you think, well, when we worship there, it's going to be uh, Billy Graham preaching while Chris Tomlin leads worship. But it's probably also going to be Martin Luther King preaching as Mandisa leads us in beautiful songs. See, it's going to be incredible, and I long for that day. And because of that, I want to see that day happen here. You know, Martin Luther King Jr. 
sadly remarked years ago that 11 a.m. on Sunday mornings is the most segregated hour in America. It is still true today. And that, I believe, is a travesty. We need to be united. We need to be the expression of heaven on earth. That's what we're supposed to pray, right? Jesus told us, Lord God, bring heaven here on earth. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And we as a church are made not just up of white people, though I am a white man, but we have people from many different ethnicities, races, backgrounds, that speak different languages, and we come together. And we've taken a few steps in that direction, and I think we have a long way to go. And I'm hoping that this message and this time will bring us even closer together. Because if heaven is going to be made of people from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation, so must be our church today. Our church. Stapleton Church. So what are the four things that we need to do? What are the four things we need to do? Well, the first one, and they're all L's, so you're going to remember them. I want you to take notes. I want you to learn these things. The first one, and these are not exhaustive in any way. The first one is to listen. James 1.19 and 20 says, My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Nearly all of the, the men and women I spoke with this week, when they were speaking, they were angry about the rioting that's going on. They say the protests, the protests are good, but the rioting is bad. The, the black men and women of our church. And yet, nearly all of them said that I understand why those people are rioting. And me, I was thinking, well, I don't understand. But the thing is, as Martin Luther King Jr. said, a riot is the language of the unheard. People are not being listened to, and they have tried peaceably for years to get their message out, and they're not being heard. So some people are acting out now in ways that, yes, are sinful and wrong. But it's maybe because we haven't taken the time to listen. I mean, truly listen. And I'm reading a book on listening. I was reading this before any of this happened. Um, and in it, the author points out, a therapist says that whenever somebody acts in a way that you think is crazy, that you don't understand, we need to think about the fact that if we had the exact same set of experiences that they do, we would act and respond in the exact same way. And that's why we need to listen to them. We can't have the same experiences of those who look differently than us. Uh, Even the different black men and women in our church have different experiences. And yet we can listen to them. We can ask them questions and we can stop and shut our mouths long enough to hear. And that leads us to the second thing. The second L is that we must learn. We must learn. We can't think about how, oh, we can rebut their argument and prove that what they're saying is wrong. No, no, no. When we listen, we listen to learn. We listen to learn. In Proverbs 4, 5, it says, Learn to be wise, he said, and develop good judgment and common sense. I cannot overemphasize this point. So we need to learn. We have so much to learn. Even if we are an expert on one specific thing, there's so much that we don't understand. We can learn from others' experiences. We can learn from our nation's history, our world history. We can watch movies and read books. Jackie Mudd, our our business manager here at the church, she recommended a book called The Third Option by Miles McPherson, a, a black man, a former NFL player, and a pastor. I was able to hear him speak several years ago. And I've just started the book, but I recommend that one. And maybe in the comment section on this video in YouTube or Facebook, you can comment about some other videos or books or podcasts or whatever resource you found that could help us learn. And together we can be a learning community. So the first one is we need to listen. The second thing is that we need to learn. The third thing is that we need to lead. 
We need to lead. Micah 6, 8 says, He has shown you, O mortal, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. See, justice isn't just something that's out there. It's something that we must do. We must do. And this doesn't just apply to people who are judges and politicians and police officers. We are all called to do justice. Now, I think why I've titled this third point lead is because, as John Maxwell defines it, leadership is influence. And every single one of us has influence with some people. Maybe it's in our family. Maybe it's with our friends. Maybe when you hear that racist comment, we need to gently and humbly correct someone. Maybe if you're watching this and you're thinking, well, man, I'm just a stay-at-home parent. How do I lead? Well, you have influence over your kids. In fact, our kids are maybe the most important people we influence. How can we raise them to give them diverse experiences and teach them about the things that maybe we have tried to sweep under the rug in American history? But think about your influence. I think that this takes some prayer and reflection to think, where is my influence? I talked with Bobby, our our worship director, and he's a teacher, and he he said, in my classroom, I have the influence to change the culture, to stop racist remarks in their track. He has the ability as a history teacher to teach about the history of our nation and not sweep those things under the rug that, would, that are difficult to talk about. We have influence, perhaps, through our workplace. Others of us have influence as leaders that are actually in positions of leadership, not just with the influence that we have in our relationships. If we have that position of influence, how could we, perhaps, through our hiring practices through our policies with employees and with uh, clients? How could we have policies that are just? Um, And even if you're saying, well, I'm not in a position of leadership, think, what influence do you have on those who are in positions of leadership? I heard a story about a woman who was brand new at an organization, but she realized that the um, time off policy and the family policy at their work, their childcare policy, was harming the single parents in their company. And most of those single parents were minorities. So she asked the CEO, even though she was brand new, she asked the CEO, could I rewrite those policies to be more equitable and just? And he said, sure. So this one woman, brand new to an organization, influenced the lives of thousands of people. So what is the way that you could influence people? Hey, Stapleton Church family. My name is Jackie Mudd. I am the business manager and preschool director here at Stapleton Church. And I just wanted to take a moment to share a few thoughts I have about what's going on in our country and in our own backyard here in Colorado following the senseless death of George Floyd and so many others. I thought that I would share a story or two about my own personal experience with racism, but I couldn't quite narrow it down to just one or two stories because the sad reality is every day when I wake up, Every day when I walk outside my door, I know that somewhere, someone is going to treat me differently based on the color of my skin. I know that a situation will be dictated not based on any bad behavior on my part or character shortcoming, but on the color of my skin. So instead of trying to share a story of my experiences, I wanted to try and answer a question that's been asked countless times over the last few days, and that is, what can I do? And my simple answer is, do something. It's not enough to 
sit in our rooms and be angry about what we're seeing on television. We have to do something. We can sign a petition. We can write our mayors and our governors and our congressmen and women. We can reach out to somebody. Have a conversation with somebody that doesn't look like us. Learn about them. Hear their story. Learn about their pain and their grief. Read a book. There are countless numbers of wonderful books out there about the experience of being a person of color in this world. All I ask is that you do something and pray. Pray that there is true change, that it's not just another senseless death, that we can do something to make this a better world, and we can do it together. And we don't have to look like each other to do it. So I pray that you and I work hand in hand to make a difference. Thanks. And the fourth thing that we need to do is to love. And uh, Bruce Dillard, who is the financial advisory chairperson in our church, I think that he explained this better than I could. So I'm going to give him the last word. And because of that, I'm going to end with a prayer right now. And we're going to give Bruce the last word. So would you pray with me? Lord God, um, this has been a hard message. This has been heavy on me. And I'm sure that I have said things. I have a lot to learn. We have a long way to go as a church. But I pray, Lord God, that you would help us to be more like you. Your love is for people who look different, who are different. And you have brought us all together by personally suffering in our place to forgive us, to reconcile us to ourselves, and reconcile us to each other. I pray that we would be agents of reconciliation and you would help us to, to, to listen, to learn, to lead, to love, and to do so much more to bring about heaven on earth here in Stapleton Church, in our city, and in our nation, and in our world. I pray that you'd help us to go out from here to be more like you and to have the heart of Christ because it is in Jesus and Jesus alone that the many can truly become one. Amen. Good morning, Stapleton Church. I wanted to take a few minutes to address the events that have been prominent in the news, both in our city and around the nation. Like many of you, I've been gravely disturbed by the images of police brutality on some of our citizens, most of whom look just like me. As I look at my own life and the approach to this situation, I have to remember who and what I am. More than anything else, I'm a child of God, created in his image and after his likeness. As we look for answers to a very large and complex issue, there's one simple place we can go to begin healing, reconciliation, and change. It's found in Matthew, where Jesus said unto the man who questioned him, Thou shalt love thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all of the law and the prophets. Now, uh, in Luke chapter 10, verses 27 through 25 through 37, someone asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? 
I'll leave it to you to read that uh, scripture to see for yourself, but I might offer a different perspective. Your neighbor is the person who lives next door to you. It may be the person that you work with. It may be the person you ride the bus or the train with as you go to work in the morning, the person sitting next to you in church. It's also the cops, cops who are good and cops who maybe are not so good. It covers every political spectrum, whether you're Republican, Democrat, or independent. Our neighbors are rioters and those who are executing vandalism and mayhem in our streets. Our neighbors are also the protesters who want to exercise their right to show people what they believe in and where they think justice needs to be done. Our neighbors are of every race, of every creed and every color, male and female. That's who our neighbors are. Whether we agree with them or not, or whether we like them or not, they're still our neighbors. And most importantly, they're God's creation. A number of my colleagues have called me over the last couple of days to ask me what my thoughts are. And my answer is quite simple. The heart of the issue is an issue of the heart. So keeping these things in our hearts and minds, we can begin the process of healing, reconciliation, and have a better understanding and appreciation for our, our fellow human beings. Thank you very much for your time.